Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Titled the past three sessions, Gathering and Position 2, here. And there we spoke about the need to come together to create a context for hearing, which is the assembly of sons of God in a specific point. Tonight's study, as you can see, is the first of two parts, which is called Hearing the Word with Your, Hearing the Word with Your Spirit. I want to briefly remind us, just from session five and six, some of the issues we've covered relative to the importance of hearing. Recall that Jesus said in Mark 4, verse 24, and as he was saying to them, Take heed what you listen to. So you must, you must take heed to the content of what you hear. And then in Luke 8, 18a, he said to his listeners, take heed how you hear. So both content and the art of listening is important. What you listen to and how it is encoded is equally important. You can listen to accurate doctrine. You can listen to a proceeding word from heaven. But if you encode it incorrectly, the weight of it, although accurate and relevant for you in a set point in time, could be lost simply because of the manner in which it was, in which it was received. You know that in communication studies, they speak of the sender and the receiver, right? And there's the relay or transmission of data or information from sender to receiver. Oftentimes, what the, what the sender intended is not what the receiver receives. Because of a, for, for many reasons. One of the primary reasons is the manner in which the data or the information is received by the receiver and encoded. Right? So what was, what was said might not be what was meant or interpreted by the receiver. Similarly, when God use, uses speakers or teachers of his word to speak to you, a particular intent might be desired by God. He, he, he intends for you to understand what he is saying in a particular way so that you can embark obediently upon a particular action. At times we find we're not obedient as we should be, simply because of the way in which the message was, first of all, received. So we have got to ensure that there's accurate understanding completely that what God originally intended is what we've heard, so that nothing is lost in our expression of obedience, in terms of what God said, okay? Um, to get that right, we discussed, and I listed A to F in your notes, we discussed several important principles that should be present every time then you hear God's word. For example, 
we said you've got a year with understanding, which includes the ability to comprehend and obey what is heard. You cannot obey that which you do not understand. And total understanding is evidenced by actually doing. We said then that you must hear with humility. The Greek word protests. James said receive the engrafted word with humility that's able to save your soul. Divest yourself of every human opinion. Bow yourself low, humility, to receive the word. You cannot receive the word with pride and arrogance like a know-it-all. What can he teach me? Right? You come with a virgin mind. You come innocent. You come as a child. You receive the word with humility. Because even though God can speak profound things, if the transmission of that information is caught by a receiver with pride, he, he, he will not be able to, first of all, receive it. Simply because of a disposition of pride present within the man. Thirdly, we said, You've got to receive the word with fear, reverence, and high esteem. Right? The scripture says that um, God says, To this man will I look. He who trembles at my word. Right? So when the word is sounded out, when you're under the listening of the word, and what I'm picking up a lot recently, even in my travels, in some sectors of the body of Christ, there's no reverence and fear for God speaking. Right? We're going to tremble at the voice. And you're going to train your mind. I think that's the next point. Receive the word of God, not as man's word, even though it is expressed through men whom we also receive. So it's not Randolph's voice, view, or thoughts that you are hearing. If you truly approach the listening of, of God's word accurately, you would say to your mind, I have great fear almost. I tremble at the sound of him who speaks from the heavens. That voice is coming in and through the voice of a man, but I do not regard the man, I regard the voice in the man. It's Israel's voice in Jacob's personality. Genesis 49. Listen, right? Uh, you sons of Jacob, or summon you, you sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. Right? So it's the divine speaking in in humans who have got flaws, right? And God uses even human imperfections to communicate the purity of his divine voice. Fifthly, we have much, I'm just skirting, uh, uh, summarizing issues we've dealt with. I would like to go into it a bit more depth, but it's not the focus for tonight's study. I'm just painting the context by this introduction. E, fifthly, we've got to receive the word how with Eagerness. Who's eager tonight? Are you an eager beaver for the word of the Lord? Amen? Are you happy that you came tonight? I'm asking you a question. Are you excited at the thought? You know, when I go to any study, I get, um, it wells, uh, excitement and zeal and eagerness well up inside of me. Such a joy to be under the sound of God's speaking. Like the Bereans, the Bible says, we've done this in detail, they receive the word how with? Eagerness. So how you hear, the eagerness with which you hear. And the Bible says they inquire daily. They examine the scriptures daily to see whether the things Paul was saying was so. So how you hear is very important. I know for some of you this might sound repetitive, but it's necessary to repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat until we get our hearing right. Right? Until we get our hearing right. Amen?
And then we did a, a one whole two, two sessions, the one evening on hearing that's got to be mixed with faith, right? I won't go into that because of time. What I want to focus on is add um, a seventh hearing principle. And we will do this over two weeks. So add to that list our topic tonight. Topic tonight is hearing with your spirit. You can come with all of the above. You can hear with an intent to understand. You, you come with humility. There's no pride in you. Um, you fear the word of the Lord. You have high esteem for it. You don't see Randolph or whoever is, is here speaking. You regard it as the word of God in the voice of a man. Right? You're receiving the word with eagerness. You're going to go home to examine the scriptures. You mix your hearing with faith like the book of Hebrews said. All the factors are present. But if this one factor that we're going to discuss tonight is found wanting, it could cancel the rest. Right? It's probably one of the most important um, principles of listening and hearing. Right? Now, the important point that we want to stress tonight is that you must hear, hear and see with the eyes and ears of your spirit and not with your soul. Okay, with your spirit, not with your soul. Now, to, to get um, this across, we just need to, to labor a bit in terms of the doctrine of the trichotomous nature of man. Trichotomy or trichotomous. Man is in three parts, not so. Man is a tripartite being. He is spirit, he is soul, and he is body. Now, I want to say this very clearly. Man is spirit, man is soul, man is is body. All three parts are equally important to God because God made all three. God did not set one up beneath the other. Right? All three components in a man are absolutely essential for that man to function in the earth. Right? Sometimes we 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 speak disparagingly about the soul or the body. Yet God would not make, God does not make that which is not important for us to function in the earth. If God made the body, the body must be important. If God made the soul, the soul must be very important. If God made the spirit, the spirit must be very important. All three parts have equal sort of weight, but there's a subtle ranking where your spirit must predominate over your soul and your body, right? It's like in the Godhead, you have Father, Son, and you have Spirit. Is any one component of the Godhead lesser of importance than the rest or the other? No. There's equality, but there's ranking, right? And we've often said ranking does not imply superiority. If, if I rank you as you above that one, the ranking does not imply that the one ranked above the other who is lesser is of superior quality than the, than the other. Ranking in the kingdom is purely for functionality. So in the Godhead, you have the Father, the Son, and the, and the Spirit. Okay? In a household of faith, you have spiritual fathers 
who is over spiritual sons. When I say over, it's, it's not for dominance or for manipulation. That ranking and order in God's kingdom is purely for functional effectiveness. Similarly, you are spirit, soul, and you are body. All three parts of you are absolutely essential to function effectively in the earth. Yet each one has a specific role or function, but yet the ranking is this, that the spirit part of man should predominate over the soul and the body. Let's have a look at some scriptures. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul said this, Now I pray the God of peace himself sanctify you in... Entirely. You can circle or underline the word entirely. What is Paul's prayer for the Thessalonian church? Paul's prayer is this. I don't only want you sanctified in your spirit. I don't only want you whole or complete in your soul. I just don't want you whole or complete or pure um, in your body. But he said this. I pray. Everyone say entirely. Right? King James says holy. I pray the God of peace himself sanctify you holy. Or sanctify you entirely. May your, and he says this, may your spirit, may your soul, and your body be preserved complete. Is God interested in all three parts of us? Yes, he is. He wants perfection. He wants maturity. In this verse, he wants wholeness and completeness in all three parts of you. Right? He's concerned about your spirit, your soul, and your, and your body. All three parts must be preserved without blame at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when the Lord returns, listen carefully to what is a perfected church. The perfect man is one in whom the, his spirit, his soul, and his body have known the full and complete work of God. And has brought that man to a perfect state called maturity. You will never get mature if you ignore any one specific part of your being. Hmm? Now, Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God. Everyone say the word. Now, it's like sometimes it's difficult to demarcate spirit and soul. Okay, we all know our physical being is the body. Right? We can see it's the external part of us that is physical, that um, is made up of the dust of the earth, that lives and walks the earth, that executes God's plan in a physical body. Sometimes it's difficult to delineate between spirit and soul. I love this verse because it says this. The word of God is what? Living and active. What does it do? It's sharper. Remember oxus, like acid, destroying any inaccurate part of us? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it piercing to the division of what? What is the only thing that can separate soul and spirit? Word of God. The Word of God comes in like a sword and is able to divide soul, spirit. And then it talks about the body, joints and marrows. So the Word of God, soul, spirit, joints and of marrow, and that it even discerns a man's thoughts and the intents of his, and the intents of his, of his heart. Okay? Now, 
in this one verse, Genesis 2 verse 7, in one verse in which the creation account of man is recorded, we can see all three parts of man. When God made man, this is how God made him. Genesis 2 7 says, The Lord God formed man out of where? Out of the dust of the ground. You can write above that body. Do you know your body is 100% dust? The chemical composition of the human body is exactly the same as the chemical composition of sand. If you bring it down and reduce it to its absolute micro components, right? That is why it's fine to bury bodies because it decomposes and fits very naturally into the environment from which it was extracted, right? Dust to dust, right? So I love what Miles Monroe often says. He says, your body is just a dirt suit. This is 100% dirt, 100% dust made up of the, the earth, right? So think about this. Um, that is why we were always meant to live on the earth and rule this planet. Because God made us from the very components of earth. This body was made from the dust of the earth. So in Genesis 2.7, God says, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And then the Bible says, and breathe. Above the word breathe, you can put spirit. So he who is spirit, please remember God is spirit. Come on, say this with me. God is spirit. And I'm going slowly over stuff most of us know, but it's important just to labor, literally labor this, almost to the point of, of, of tedium, but it's necessary so that we're all on the same page. And I'm going extremely slowly, and, and this is, might seem elementary for many of us, but it's absolutely essential that we cover these things. So God takes some sand, forms a human body. Adam is lying. Think Adam is literally lying there. The Lord God who is spirit. Everyone say wind. Spirit comes. He, Father is spirit. Spirit is spirit. Son is spirit. All three parts of God are spirit. Spirit comes, ruach, wind or breath, and breathes into Adam. Adam, now listen carefully, on the earth, made from the dust of the ground, now has a God component to him. Right? That which defines God in his characteristic nature, his spirit, now man suddenly is like God. And what does the Bible says next? It says, and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and the bible then says and man became a living being that's why you are a human being right next to the word being put the word soul the king james version of the bible says and man became a living soul right became a a living soul so just to to complete this Dust from the ground is a reference to the body dynamic or dimension of man. The phrase breathe into him, on the page two there, is a reference to the spirit of man, the primary means through which man would interact with God. Very important. Think about this. God breathes into man spirit, right? Breathes into man. So man has got a spirit component to him. God, who is spirit, gave man spirit by breathing into him breath. 
that spirit component of man becomes the interface, the medium through which this man on the earth is going to access God in the heavens. The spirit of man then is the platform, if you would. It is the, 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 the foundation or platform upon which man would have then the ability to engage a God who is spirit from the platform of his spirit. To no other living organism in the created order in the earth that God breathed an aspect of his nature, his image, his spirit into only man. Okay? Only man. Even angels don't know this dimension. That's why the enemy rebelled, Satan rebelled against, do you know why Satan rebelled against God? Satan thought him being one of the, the high-ranking angels, the Bible says he was the chief cherub. In the angelic sort of ranking, there are cherubim, seraphim, and a whole host of messenger or other angels. Lucifer was the chief cherub that covered. Right? And he rebelled at the thought that he thought that all of God's intentions and um, all of the inheritance of the divine would vest with him. When he learned that this, this creature called man on the earth is God's chosen place from which God will beam himself off to the rest of creation. And I must serve him because angels were made to serve us. The Bible says in Hebrews, angels are ministering spirits sent to help or minister to those which is us which are the heirs of salvation. Tell your neighbor, angels are your servants. I dare to say, even the highest ranking of angels is designed, the, the Bible says, the heavens and their hosts, all the angelic um, array um, in, in their precise order, like an army, were made to serve God's intentions in me. The Bible says, I will even judge them one day. You will judge angels. Tell your neighbor, you outrank any angel. That is why we're not afraid of the devil or any demon. Especially fallen spirits, we outrank them. Amen? You outrank the devil. All of you, you outrank the devil. The devil is your least problem in the earth right now. Your biggest problem is your unrenewed mind. Hmm? The enemy is not your greatest threat. Get your thinking right. I'm trying to get our, our thinking right. The enemy is not our greatest problem. He has been dealt with. So man made from the dust of the earth has got a platform. I'm using the, the word that Amo taught us, a platform. Because it's, you, you function from a particular platform of operation. Right? Um, Blackberry has got a particular platform. What's it called? From which it... Rim, what's it? Whichever, rim. Um, other, other devices function like on Android. Um, there's the iPhones that function from a different platform. Right? They all give the same service. Well, they all give a similar service, not the same. I know some of you will shoot me down. <laughs> right? They all give a similar service, but some are more efficient than others because they have a different platform mechanisms, far more efficient than, than others. Not so? Okay. 
Now, the platform that you should be operating from is the platform of your spirit. God breathed. Think about this when God breathed into Adam. God gave, God, God gave Adam a dimension of himself imparted to this dust man. Right? Created in the image and in the likeness of God. And then the scripture says, man became a living being. This we are going to focus. Listen carefully. It's a reference to the soul through which he would engage and live on the, he would engage and live on the earth. Now, okay, don't refer to your notes because I wrote copious notes for this particular study because this, this topic can be quite confusing. Right? So at, your, at your leisure, when you get home, just read through them just to cement your own understanding. Rather listen tonight and listen to the general gist of the study. So man is a trichotomous or a tripartite being. He has a spirit, he has a soul, and he has a body. When Adam was made, God formed the body out of the dust, the earth. The body was formless, well, was at form, sorry, but lifeless. So God came and he breathed spirit into man. When, when he, breathed, he breathed spirit into man, I just picture this. The man got up, Right? And listen carefully, he became a living soul because with the soul, listen carefully how the soul works. Your soul dynamic is that part of you through which you are able to interact and engage the earth, the world in which you live. It gives you comprehension, intelligence. It has a mind. It can make decisions. It gives you being. You not just have life, but you, you have being, right? You, you have a soul dynamic to you. Now listen carefully. That soul dynamic, God had to make a body for the soul dynamic to, to work through. The soul dynamic works through your five senses. What are your five senses? Let's start. Okay, let's start from your eyes, your, your sight, your, your hearing. Your taste, your smell, <laughs> and your, your sense of touch. So how else would this Adam, this first man, engage his world? I can just picture him. Um, I said to Jules today, I would have loved to have seen Adam before the fall, before the first sin. What was man before sin entered the world? What was the species that Satan was envious of? That Satan rebelled with, with, with a third of the angelic host because he was envious of the image of God reflected in this human species called Adam, the first man made from the earth. Right? So with these five senses, he, he could become a human being and live legitimately, intelligently, interacting with this world in which he lived. And express the will of God on the earth. Right? Now you know James 2.26 says, The body without the spirit is what? Right? The body without the spirit is dead. When a person dies, what happens? The breath, the spirit, leaves the body. Once the spirit leaves the body, the soul got no platform to function. If you extract the spirit out of the equation of man, Right? 
um, the soul is powerless to, to operate and to work in and through a lifeless body. So then you need to learn the principle that I need to operate from the platform of my spirit because if I neglect that, however I function through my soul, neglecting my spirit, whatever I produce will be death. Now look at your notes. We've often been taught that man is spirit, has a soul, lives in a body. Not so. Simply say it like this. Man is spirit, is soul, and is body. Right? All three components are absolutely essential for him to, to operate in and live in. Now, Dr. Segi taught us the following at one of the schools. The spirit of man and the soul of man, you see in the center of your notes, both dynamics have a mind, have a will, emotions, and have a, a will. Above the word mind, you can put their think. Next to emotions, you can put feel. Maybe next to will, put decide. So your mind, your emotions, and your world, what you think, what you feel, and how you decide. We all, being human, have the capacity to Think, to feel, and to decide. You have a mind that you think. I have emotions where I feel. Sometimes I feel good. Sometimes I'm happy. Sometimes I am sad. Say being. Gives me being. right? And then I can wake up one day and I decide to do that or I decide not to do that. Man is an intelligent being. Now listen carefully. I'm not going to go painstakingly go through all the scriptures, and there are many, many more scriptures to prove. Listen carefully. Your spirit has a mind, emotions, and will. Two. Your soul dimension has got a mind, a will, and emotions. You can live life on the earth either from your soul dimension or from your spirit dimension. In other words, you can think a certain way, you can feel a certain way and make decisions in a particular way from one of two platforms. Either the platform of your spirit or the platform of your, of your soul. And that will be expressed in a body that gives you legal right upon the, upon the earth. Now, look at the paragraph after that. I'm just, okay, let me, I may just get distracted if I say that. Let's just stick to our topic. The temptation, the last paragraph, in the garden where the enemy tempted Eve and then Adam, obviously, to eat of the forbidden fruit was a temptation essentially of independence from God. She said, uh, the serpent said to her, you will be like God, right? You will be like God. The spirit of man was given to him from the breath of God himself and it is this dimension of spirit that is our interface with God. Please, if anything, if you forget everything I've said tonight, please remember the statement. Your spirit, your spirit is the touchstone, is the interface. You want to interact with God in any way. You do it from the platform of your, of your spirit, right? 
it might filter through to your soul and be expressed in your body. But it doesn't start there. It starts in, they that worship me must worship me in, not in soul or in body, and it's small s there in John 4.24, you worship me from the platform of the dynamic that I breathed into you, which is spirit. That is why, in my worship, for example, I don't need to feel a certain way in my soul for me to lift up my hands. In fact, one of my kids could have just died an hour ago, but I can come to God because my response to Him is from spirit, not from how I'm feeling, maybe pain, maybe sorrow, maybe depression in my soul. But all my responses to God are a function of my spirit. Not, you see, if you are soulish, your whole life is lived circumstantially. You will, you will make decisions, you will feel, you will, you, you, um, you will, you will you have a certain mindset, a way of understanding and thinking based upon context. And we are not creatures of context. Right? So though the fig tree failed to blossom, the prophet said, and though there be no fruit on the vine, yet will I rejoice in God, my Savior. My rejoicing is not dependent on harvest. He says, though the fig tree fail, he says, yet will I rejoice. That is why we kingdom citizens defy logic. People look at us and say, your responses are so opposite to what your context dictates you should be responding to. Then you say, that is because I'm not a soulish man. I'm a spiritual being on the planet. A platform from which I operate is spirit and not soul or body. There's some tribes in South America whose whole worship experience is based upon to what degree can they mutilate the flesh. Any kind of devotional or religious response is based firstly in the flesh. Listen carefully. I can lift my hands to the Lord in worship or in prayer, or I can be bawling my eyes out. I can be hectically emotional in how I feel about God. But when you look at me, you must always realize it does, the expression is not the, the initiation. The expression does not define where the thing started. It started in my spirit. And so when I feel something about God, the lifting of the hands, the emotion, the joy, the ecstasy, the bowing low, the prostrating of my body before the Lord, whatever gesture in bodily form comes afterwards has to have started in spirit. Tell your neighbor, worship in spirit. I don't know why we need to worship for what our notes. Maybe using worship as an example. I'm using that as a, as a case study to say that everything in life as a spirit man. Right? So guess what? If you are, next week I'll talk about three categories of humans. Spiritual, carnal, and natural. All in the church. All called sons of God. But operating in three different dimensions. So you walk to work tomorrow. Or you come in uh, at school, young people. And... The person snubs you. And you know, if I, if I regard that in the flesh or as a soulish person, I can respond on that level. 
they functioning on that platform. My platform is vastly different. I'm spirit. So I can bless those who persecute me. I can pray for those who despitefully use me. Why? My whole operation in the earth is not bodily or soulish. Primarily, I use soul and body simply to express my will on the earth. But the initiation, the starting point that conditions both soul and body is my spirit. What I'm seeing a lot of in the church today are responses to circumstances from the soul and body dimension. And we are seeking to be spirit beings in the earth. Right? It is always the order, spirit, soul, body. Let me just say this also. Don't think of your soul as a bad thing. When I say we're living spiritually, not soulishly, all my examples up to this point are reference to an unregenerate, unrenewed soul. What we are doing in our salvation experience is trying to get our soul back to where it was before Adam fell. Because God made the soul, if God made the soul, God can't make an evil thing. Tell me the soul and the body is not evil. My, I, I want to get my soul back in sync to where it should be positioned in reference to my spirit. Right? When you get saved, listen carefully, your spirit man, your spirit is entirely saved. 100% mature. It's renewed. Right? Your soul, which includes your mind, your will, your emotions, that component, has to be renewed, how? Daily. What would Paul say in Romans 12? Right? Be not conformed. And in verse 2 he says, be renewed in the... How does the verse go? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not so? And be transformed by the renovation of your thought patterns. Right? The renovation of your thought patterns. Do you know right now, let me just finish this. So your, your spirit is entirely renewed. Right? Do you know, all of you right now, your spirit man is hundreds. <laughs> you, if you said yes to the Lord, you you saved. Our biggest challenge, what is church all about? What is our agenda in the earth with human beings right now in all our teachings? What are we trying to do? The focus is to get three aspects, the mind, emotions, and the will of the soul to be in, be in line or in sync with what's happening in the spirit. Because the spirit is saying, yes, yes, yes. The soul is saying, no, maybe, if, but, what. Everyone say transform. Metamorpho, metamorphosis, drastic change. That's Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. How does change come? Change to Christians or sons of God only come when the person's mind of the soul is renovated, is changed. What is repentance? How does entry into the kingdom start? Repent. Change your, change your mind. What are we after? Listen carefully. It's not just a mind change in the apostolic with reference to the renewal of the soul. We are after changing the very construct of your thinking. Changing the very framework of how one thought leads to another. Have you ever had this experience where 
you think of something and it leads to another thing and another thing and another thing and another thing another thing and you connect the dots and you're way off the mark now and now you're on some boat on some pacific island and you you said no but i sat down to study algebra how did i end up on a boat in some island and you say, hey, but what letter? And you start connecting the dots. Do you know what's in your mind? Psychologists actually tell us they are thought parts. History. There's a track, historically, of the way in which your mind has been subjected repetitively over a period of mind to such a degree that the next thought becomes almost predictable. I guarantee you, think of someone you hate right now. Everyone just do this. I know you already have someone. Okay, listen, let me rephrase. We're all in the kingdom here. You're not allowed to hate anybody. So we don't have people we hate. But think of something you wouldn't readily have tea or coffee with. And imagine, the moment you think of that, then a string of other thoughts are attendant with that initial thought. That basically means we need to erase that thought path. We need to obliterate that thought pattern. Right now, I want to get to the place. You know when God, when I sin, and I come before the Lord, I say, Lord, forgive me. And the next day, I come to you and say, God, hey, the sin, I'm still heavy in my mind. God says, what sin? God himself doesn't even remember, because the Bible says, if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive. And the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my sin from me, And he buries it in the sea of forgetfulness. Is God powerful? Can God do all things? God can do all things only to the limitation of his word. Say that again. So if God says, I can forget something. You can't say, but you are God. How can you forget things? God says, I can do it because I bind myself to my word. If I says, I forget something, I will literally forget it. If you remind me of it, I can't recall it because I said I've forgotten it. So now our problem is when we sin, we are racked with guilt. The memory of it haunts us. That is proof. That is proof. We are still being held prisoner by thought patterns in the soul area of our minds. So I'm just using sin as one example. What I'm after is I want the Lord, my praise God, change the way I think in my soul change my construct of thought patterns if they are wrong parts then renovate me change me change my soul thought patterns by the power of your word by the power of your of your speaking now let's look at i know we went off a bit track there but i think it was necessary look at on the bottom of page two the experience that Adam and Eve had. Let me just read the paragraph completely. Second sentence in that last paragraph. The spirit of man was given to him for the breath, from the breath of God himself. Okay, God breathed into man. And this dimension of spirit is our interface with God. It is thus, it thus also expresses dependence on God since it is that component of man which is directly akin to God or like God, who himself is spirit, right? 
When the soul functions outside of being led by the Spirit, it therefore seeks to operate independently from God. Let me explain that just to, to, to simplify it. Your spirit came from God. Your spirit is that part in you that is akin or like God. So God gave you that spirit component. And for me, it's simply that component expresses dependent upon his spirit. Let me just say this again. The spirit, he, the spirit of truth, the spirit will come to you and interact with you from a platform called spirit in you. Even when you get saved, the Bible says, His Spirit witnesses with what? Not with my soul or body. His Spirit witnesses with my spirit that I am a, a son of God. Because sometimes the mind of my soul might question, today am I a son? Tomorrow I'm not a son. Because of events, today I'm not a son? So the platform of witness is spirit. Anything from the realm of the eternal to the earth it's always spirit to spirit in the words of the psalmist deep calls unto deep you've got to have the same um i don't know how to express this you know what i'm trying to communicate you've got to have the same platform the same constituent element if you would from another unseen realm into the earth temporary seen realm to for it to interact so god uses his spirit to engage with our our spirit. And Adam was fine with that. And the enemy wanted to abort God's plan and mar the image. And so what does the enemy do? Check it out. Genesis 3 verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you will not die if you eat of the tree. The Lord knows in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The enemy's temptation is, why be dependent upon him? From your spirit to his spirit, when you can be like him, spirit. Why express this dependence? Have your independence, O oh man. Live your own life on the earth, disconnected from the source of life, which is spirit. That was the temptation. Next verse. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to thee, eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and... And she also gave her husband with her and he ate. Right? Now verse 7 says, The eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. And they made themselves loin coverings. Look at verse 6. The woman saw the tree was good for food. Look at verse 7. The eyes were opened. How can she see in verse 6? And verse 7 says the eyes were opened. Obviously, it was different eyes. Now, she sees the natural tree. She eats of it. Then it says, hey, there was a new awareness now. The opening of the eyes in verse 7 was the opening of the eyes of the soul. It's like a new market was introduced into the economy. You know, like a new phone comes in. And every new device that comes in, they, um, the manufacturers try to dissuade people from being loyal to BlackBerry, let's say. And they'll try to recruit you to iPhone. Who's an iPhone loyal fan here? No one? Okay. I'm joining you soon. <laughs> okay. Right? If you're my son, follow me as I follow Christ. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> All right. Now, for example, 
the, the new phone, the Galaxy 4 is out, I think. Samsung. You, I know uh, Viola's a fan, eh? Who's a, who's a Samsung Galaxy? Shimon, Matthew, Evie, okay? There's a mixture of, of loyalties in this house, <laughs> okay? Um, I'm just switching to the Apple uh, because all my devices now are Apple, so I want to sync all my stuff, only for that reason. But whenever a new sort of platform or make comes in with a, a, a more sophisticated platform or device, it attempts to do what? To win over a greater market share, right? To convince people that your product is inferior, work on this platform and see how life would change for you, right? <laughs> That's what the enemy did to Eve and Adam. He said, this functioning from the spirit platform is not going to work for you. If you function from this platform through disobedience and activate the domain of your soul, you can, be oper- you can operate just like God. You can know good and evil and make a choice. Right now, as you operate from spirit, your eyes are closed to good and evil. All you know is simply a voice speaks, I obey, end of story. Now that your reason, your logic, your ability to negotiate, to transact, is made aware, you have the option, and I use the term deliberately, you now have a choice as to what path you're going to choose. But you know, the sad thing is, when you've disconnected from the Spirit, you're now left disempowered to make divine choices from the platform of your soul. And your choices would most times often be wrong. Because the soul has now been disconnected from that dimension called spirit, which he, the spirit, informs, that is able to inform and empower you to make accurate choices. Right? And the soul that sins, Ezekiel 18, the soul that sins, it shall die. Right? Now, How does God restore the soul then? Part of the methodology is word. This theme we're dealing with, the primacy of the word. How do we hear? Now man is fallen. God wants to restore him. The way in which God is going to restore him is by bringing word to him. That must be heard with his, with his, with the, with the ear of his spirit and not with the ear of his of his soul. Now, look at the second paragraph on page three, quickly. Tell your neighbor, your, your soul has a mind and your spirit has a mind. Now tell them your soul has a will and your spirit has a will. And further, your, your spirit has emotions and your soul has emotions. The choice is, what platform are you going to choose to function by? And, listen carefully, what platform will you choose to hear the word from? Now we're getting to where we're going to. How do we sit in church in our bodies, having soul and spirit? I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I'm a son of God. My soul, my spirit is entirely renewed. My soul has got some black spots, some darkened areas that are still in the process of being renewed through time. The soul is purified through obedience 
every time it hears the, the word of the Lord. Right? Now, if you read Romans 7, Paul went through this experience where he had to make a choice. There were two natures fighting each other. Right? The carnal mind is at enmity with the spirit. He says in Galatians also. Right? There's this conflict between two realms. And even the apostle felt it. Things I want to do, I don't do, he says. Things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. I find in a law in operation. Right? The law of sin and death, another topic for another time, and versus the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Right? The first Adam became a living soul. The second Adam, the last Adam, sorry, get my term correct. Please remember these terms. Adam was the first Adam, the first man. Jesus, the Bible says, was the last Adam, the second man. Again, first Adam, Adam. Last Adam, Jesus. First man, Adam. Second man, Jesus. The last Adam, the second man, Jesus, came, listen, what did Jesus do when he came on the earth? He came in a body. And he walked this earth for 33 years simply to demonstrate to men it's possible to live in this life, in this body, but live off a different platform. When you read the Gospels, which I want to encourage you to do, take the synoptics and also, also John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read it. And Jordan, next time you're reading like the Gospels, read it, just check out, you, 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 your mind is this. Let me check how Jesus responded to situations. Many times I would ask him a question, how would he respond? And this is what I want to do very soon. I want to read the gospel simply to see how did the Son of God came to demonstrably uh, exhibit how a spiritual man can live in the earth successfully from the platform of his spirit. Hmm? That is what Jesus came to show us. Now, the mind of your spirit, the next uh, portion. Let me just say this. I forgot to say this also. James 1, you can see it in the previous paragraph. It says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded is basically a tussle between the mind of your spirit versus the mind of your, the mind of your soul. Right? Sometimes God gives you a command or a promise. And you're... Your, your spirit is saying, yes, yes, that's God. I want to obey. Your mind is saying, but what about the cost? Right? So James says, you become unstable in all your ways because you've you got two phones in your pocket. You've got a Blackberry and you've got an iPhone. You don't know which one is ringing. Right? Now, the command of God comes to you. The command of God, and you're saying, with which mind am I going to respond? Am I, will I respond with the mind, with the emotion, and with my will, my decision-making power of my spirit? Or am I going to allow, listen carefully, only if that area in my soul is unregenerate, unrenewed, will I allow that to override my spirit? The intention of God was that the spirit would dominate and lead the soul. Previously, before Adam sinned, you know what? The Bible says, I got it here. Look over. I don't know where I got it. God would come down to Adam and talk with him in the cool of the day. Okay, it's somewhere in your notes, but I just can't locate it now. 
Okay, leave it. But you know the account, right? The Ruach, where is it? Bottom of page 4. Okay, Julian found it. Look at Genesis 3.8 at the bottom of page 4. It says, right? The paragraph above that, the spirit was built to cover and inform the soul, which covers and informs the body. Before the fall of man, his spirit dominated his entire being. Adam walked with God. Now, please, everyone say this, in the cool of the day. Now, cool is not, it wasn't hot. (laughs) That's not what cool means here. Cool, the Hebrew is ruach. And you can see, um, I don't have it in your notes, but write this above the word cool, ruach. Oh, it's there, it's at the bottom. It's breath, wind, or spirit. So he, who is spirit, would come into the garden. Just use your sanctified imagination. Here's a man, and the God will come. Right? And the Bible, I like what it says. Let's read Genesis 3 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the ruach, the wind of the day. Right? So the Spirit would come in, listen carefully, and a sound was heard. The word is call in the Hebrew for sound. And call simply means a voice. Everyone say a voice. And the root that it comes from literally means to call aloud. So God would come into the earth and speak aloud to Adam. How would he do that? By the Spirit, he would come and commune with, yes, his body, but he's communing to the Spirit in the man. It's from Spirit. The communication is from Spirit to Spirit. At that stage, he's the eyes... The mind, the will, and the emotion of his soul were totally dull. I don't think he knew he had like a soul. It was such, he was so spirit fixated. Anything God would say, he would do. Let me just say this. When God said to man, multiply, replenish, dominate, and subdue the earth. It wasn't a one-time command, and so you would do the business. God would literally come every single day and do what? The sound of the Lord. I like this. The sound of the Lord God walking. The call, the voice of the Lord God. Let me, I like to say it like this. The voice coming in wind. The voice coming in spirit. Please, this is very important for I'm going to stress shortly. It's the voice coming in spirit. Talking to Adam's spirit. And you know, we discussed this. How do we become partakers of the divine nature? The first few sessions in Eastern. It's through the word of the Lord. To the, to, to the scriptures, we become partakers of his divine nature. Right? Adam did not have the fullness of God at the inception of his creation. Neither did he know the entirety of God's will. At the command, subdue the earth. What God intended to keep this human consistently dependent upon me. He would have to engage his spirit and open his spirit to my voice that will come to him daily in the garden. Every time the spirit would come, couched in words or voice call, what would Adam do? He engaged word, he clothed himself with another layer of God. Nature, character, name, character and will. Every time you'd hear the voice, he would know what to do. Right? But the moment he sinned, 
he opened up the option of, when I hear that voice, I can now decide. I know good and evil. I can decide whether to obey or not to obey. I can negotiate and I can reason. The original intent of God was that the soul would blindly follow the spirit. The spirit was to dictate to the soul. When, when man sinned, his soul, his soul became darkened. The process of salvation includes a process of bringing the soul back to its completely illumined state. But the illumination of the soul, the light of the soul, if you would, only comes from an illumined spirit. And your illumined spirit comes from word, which is light. When the word which is light illumines your spirit, it casts light onto the cliff, the darkened areas of your soul. Right? And so you never believed a certain thing, let's say. You, you never believed it was God's will and intention for you to embark upon a certain path. Then one day, God comes to you with word. What did Jesus say? My words are spirit. Words come to you. It's like God ruach in the cool of the day coming to you. How does spirit come to you? Everyone say through word. That is why I'm so, have such an issue with meetings where there's no word, but they claim there's spirit. Spirit comes riding in word. The words I speak to you, Jesus said, they are spirit and they are life. Do you know right now, you are in the cool of the day in the Lord's garden. There is, there, there is voice coming, this coming in Ruach to you. It's meant to hit the, the landing spot, if you would. This must land not on the mind and the will of your soul. It must land on the platform called spirit. Decisions must be taken in spirit, which naturally will be expressed decisionally in the earth through your soul. But your soul will blindly say, yes, if the spirit, if my, that's why Jesus said in the garden, listen carefully, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. But not the will of my soul be done, but the will of my spirit, which is your will, of your spirit, not my will, but your will be done. You will always come to the place, every single one of us, where we're going to have to decide in the execution of divine purpose, what platform will decide and dictate our course of action? Right? The soul will count the cost. The spirit says, no, if he said it, let's do it, despite the context. So Jesus in the garden would say, my soul. What did he say? When he cried and his sweat turned as though it was droplets of blood. His actual words were, not my spirit. Where is Everyone say agony. Agizomai. The Bible says he was in agony in the garden. Agizomai is a Greek term used to describe games of athletes where contests were fought. It was virtually to the death. Two opposing athletes would fight for their lives, basically. Greek games. And he used, the, 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 the writer of the Gospels uses, and being in agony. He was in contest. There was a war going on. Not his spirit was agonizing. Where was the warfare? Where's the, the arena? He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Right? What did he do? He says, no. 
although I'm feeling in my body, my humanity, if it's possible, Lord, take this suffering away from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. If you're going to execute the will of God for your life, you've got to make a decision. It could be at great agony, even. The contest within you. But you've got to make a decision. I will not count the cost as long as I do the will of my Father. For you to obey, you're going to have to hear. Listen carefully. This is where I'm going to. If we're going to get that result, my thing is hearing. Everyone say hearing. Because accurate hearing will produce that. So hear with the spirit and not with the soul. In fact, listen carefully. Every time you hear with your spirit, this is how I figure it out. Every time you hear with your spirit and you decide to obey, no matter the conflicting issues in your soul. Hmm? God's saying to you, go to that person that offended you and dragged your name to the mud and maligned your character and bless them with a the gift. Let's say I'm using an arbitrary example, right? You say, hey, I'm hearing God in my spirit. Yes, Lord. Now the soul is saying, sure. Now you have in this context, this, this dialogue within yourself. Yeah, but I'll be embarrassed by doing that. Your spirit man say, yes, but obey the Lord. And your mind of your, of your soul is saying, but the person is going to think you're actually confessing. Therefore, you are guilty. And the mind of your spirit is saying, but you must become a man of no reputation. Just obey his voice. Now, you're going to decide what platform is going to decide the outcome of your actions. With what platform have you heard? Because how you've heard will empower a certain response. How you've heard will empower a certain obedient response. That is why in this season, Jesus went to the cross like this. Subject the will of my mind, the will of my soul, to your will, even at giving up my life. Public humiliation. What will it cost you? But here's a verse that I like. Go back to page um, 3, 1 Peter 1, 22. I like to think of it like this. Let me read the scripture, then I'll make a few comments, then we'll go on. Listen carefully. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Having purified your souls, how? By your obedience. That's a, if ever a verse on obedience I love. At some stage in, 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 in our Friday nights, we will do a whole series on obedience. One of my favorite topics. This, this verse is one of the favorite obedient verses. <laughs> okay. It says, having, how you purify the soul? How do you bring the soul back? It says you purify the soul through what? Through obedience. To what? What is truth? Thy word is true. For a sincere love of the brethren. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since. Now the way I like to read this since. Everyone say since. Since means you started something. Let's, let's, Let's start with the since and go back to the previous verse. The since is. You have been born a. Again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding. What? So you are born again by the word of God. When you said yes to the Lord and you accepted him, you heard the word. The mind of your spirit was totally renewed. Your spirit man is reborn. How is it reborn? By the word of God. Now, for all flesh is as the grass. Its glory, the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fails. 
but the word of the Lord endures or remains for ever. This word is the good news that was preached. Underline the word preached. I'm going somewhere, please. Listen carefully. Now, Peter says, okay, you've been born again by the word. There's not like the grass. There's an abiding, enduring quality. This word was preached to you. You became born again by the word. Right? And since you're born again experienced by the word, you now started life in the kingdom. As you live life in the kingdom, every time you obeyed the same word of truth that got you born again, you progressively purify your soul. Listen carefully. Every act of obedience brings the soul a step closer to the accuracy of your spirit. That is why I want to encourage you. Don't move in and out of the states of it. Have a perpetual obedience. You know why? If you are strong in an area, let's say you, you struggle in that area historically. You were obedient for a month, you went back, you up and down. But now, hearing this truth, you say, God, no matter what, no matter what, I will obey the, from the, the platform of my spirit, no matter what's happening in my soul. Do you know what is going to happen? You'll get to a place where in that area of your soul, you will never fall again. You'll bring such perfection to that domain. Right? You become so spiritually authoritative in that area. That dynamic of your soul has become transformed. And you've renewed your mind, renewed your thinking about that issue. Right? It is only then can your soul be trusted to follow the dictates of your spirit. And you can, you can engage in obedient action in your, in your body. Okay? But the word was preached to you. It's a word that you hear. It's not a word that you read. Right? The word of God, you don't live by the word of God. You live by the proceeding word. A word has got to be proceeded to you to live by it. Hmm? Now, go over the next page. Page, where are we? Just quickly. In fact, go to the last page. Let me explain the diagram. We may not get through everything because of time. We just have about 20 minutes left. I'll try to depict this graphically. I love diagrams and stick men and all that kind of thing. So I like to depict things graphically. And, and Thamo helped me with this somewhat in, while we were in Kenya. I was depicting this in one of the teach sessions I did there in Kenya. And he just corrected my view about how to depict it diagrammatically. So you, you can see the body there on your extreme. It's your right, eh? The body. You're living in a body in the earth, not so. In your body, you have two platforms. You have spirit and you have? You have spirit and you have soul. Now look at the top part, spirit. In the block there I wrote, your spirit engages the heavens. Look at the soul, the bottom. Your soul engages the earth through the five, through the five senses. Listen carefully. Just look up here at me. You are amphibious in that you can, you can live in water and on the land. You can live on the earth and in the, you can access the heavens. He who is spirit, spirit as the touchstone or the interface to which to transmit heavenly unseen things to you. I'll talk about that next week. First Corinthians 2 is your homework. Study the whole chapter. Powerful powerful chapter. Please make a note of these two chapters. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Please soak yourself in those verses. It's powerful stuff in there. 
The only way to receive things as a spiritual man from the unseen realm is from the platform of your, of your spirit man. Right? Adam could effortlessly engage the heavens and live on the earth successfully. When he fell, that dynamic was compromised. Right? Both, you can see both spirit and soul as a mind, will, and emotions. But if you go to the soul block, I wrote there, it's subject to the spirit in each respect. Not so? So that arrow coming down between the spirit and the soul, the spirit covers and configures, bringing light to the soul. But now listen carefully. What is important, listen carefully, is in your body, look, look at the body block, in your body, your spirit and soul expressed through the body which walks out the will of God on earth through how? Through obedience. It's a soul and spirit brought in alignment. And so you purify your soul every time you obey. We're all fine with that. That's a good outcome, not so. So the spiritual father hears God's voice, that top little cloud there. We hear the word of the Lord. And we com- when we stand to preach, my exhortation to you tonight is, hear from this platform of your spirit. Now back up, go back. I want to sh- show you the diagram in the word. Show you some scriptures too, to support this depiction. All right? On top of page four, I, t- I said there, man can engage heaven and earth. Yes, told you he's amphibious. Right? What is the, let's just go straight to, to, to the second paragraph. What is the sequence of the creation? Thamo taught us this. Light, heaven, and then earth. Not so? But a word from God initiated this light. Right? There was the sound of the word, let there be light, and there was light. So what came before light was word. The word of God created light. Light covers and informs the heavens. The heavens cover and inform the earth. Now, similarly, man is what? Spirit, soul, and body. And also it has got to be the word of God that illuminates the spirit, which will illuminate the soul and be expressed through the the body. Right? Now here's scriptures that we know. Your world is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Not so? Psalm 18 verse 28. You light my lamp and the Lord illumines my darkness. Above those two scriptures it says, The word of God is a light and a lamp and illumines every darkened area of our existence. So the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. And Psalm 18.28 says, this word, Psalm 18.28 is very important. Please remember this passage because the Bible says, you light my lamp. The Lord does what to my darkness? He lights every area of darkness, right, in me. He is my lamp and his word is a lamp. But Proverbs 20-27 also says, The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. Right? So putting those three verses together, the word which is a lamp, but it also says, your spirit is a lamp. The word is light. So what should illuminate your spirit? Word. When the, when, when the word of God brings light and illumination to your spirit, 
from it lighting up your spirit, from the vantage point of an illuminated spirit, you perceive and you can really see the state of your own soul. This is a capacity that I want to drum into you. It only comes to me now as I'm teaching. Listen carefully. If I expose myself perpetually to light, sounded proceeding word preached to me, it comes to my, listen carefully, the Bible says, not me, there's not Randolph's you. The Bible says, my spirit is the lamp of the Lord. But it says his word is also a lamp. And it says he lightens my lamp. And he illumines all of my darkness. It is then possible to have this capacity. The capacity is this. If I'm under the consistent exposure to the sound of God's word. I will be in a place eventually where I can actually see to what degree my soul is illuminated. If you catch what I'm saying, you will, after a period of time, know exactly in which areas of your soul still need renewal, renovation to bring it back into alignment. But you will never know that if you don't have proceeding word sounding out to you from someone who speaks the word of God to you. Right? And then we have the verse in Genesis, or in Job 23 verse 9. When his lamp, now you know what the lamp is? The world is a lamp. My spirit is a lamp. When his lamp did what? Shone over my head. And beneath the word head put mind of the soul. So when the mind of the spirit, if you want to, Paraphrase the lamp, an illuminated spirit, shone over and eclipsed, lightened up rather, my head, which is the mind of my soul, by his light, I can walk through darkness. That is why, listen carefully, psychologists and psychiatrists, we have one here. The problem in the soul of man, the fallen soul of man today, has created two possible areas of job employment for people to which they are remunerated. <laughs> right? What are they p- helping men on the earth do? It's basically a process of, renewal, of renewing of the soul. Your, your thinking is wrong in that respect. So they coach you, they cajole you, and there's an absolute place for that scientific method of assisting people. Because sometimes all you need is another view. Right? This, this area of the fallen soul needs to be upgraded progressively back to maturity. I am of the view that you're going to have to expose yourself perpetually to word for that to happen completely. It's the light of the word of God that will bring a man back to permanent alignment of his soul to an illuminated spirit. So when you hear the word of the Lord, you must hear from the platform of an illumined spirit. Okay? Let's go to page five and start wrapping up. I feel like I want to exercise my spirit, man, more. I feel like, um, you know, now when I go to open heaven, guess what? I'm going to hear whoever's preaching there of the apostles. I sit there, And I don't try to 
make intelligible mind sense of what I'm hearing. I hear, let the mind of my spirit catch it. Because sometimes the mind of your spirit will catch something that the mind of your, your actual intellect is grappling with. Jesus said in John 6.63, look at it. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak or I have spoken, they are spirit and they are life. Not so. They are spirit and they are life. Jesus said this in Matthew 10.20. It is not you who speak. It is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Please, whenever I speak, it is not me who speaks. Jesus is saying, Randolph's voice is being heard. God is using his vocabulary, his known vocabulary to express the will of the Lord. But really it's not I who is speaking, it's who? It's the spirit of who? Everyone say father. And it's very important you understand. The spirit of father speaks in and through the vessel who delivers the word of the Lord. The spirit of father. Do you know why? When Adam sinned, he vacated sonship. And he opted to become an orphan. He, he lost connection with the spirit of father that come to him in the cool of the day. To, to, to communicate with his spirit. So he can clothe himself progressively with more of God's nature and so do God's will. Right? How is fathering going to be restored to men? It's through words. Everyone say words. We're dealing with the primacy of their word. I'm trying to get everyone to read things differently. But how do you sit under the sound of sermons? I'm trying to recondition. When you sit there, it's not different. You sit there and your mindset is, press the platform on. Spirit activated. Soul be quiet. No, your view doesn't count right now. My father is speaking. Spirit of father in the voice of a man is going to speak to the spirit my platform. My mind might, might have issues with it. But I'm going to bring that as my, the light of the word lamps my spirit. It illuminates every darkened area of my soul. So I bring my soul in alignment with my, with my spirit. Now let's look at the context in which Jesus said these words. We all know John 6, 63, as I've just quoted. The words I speak, the words are spirit. Tell you never words are spirit. Tell him words are breath. Words are wind. Please get this revelation. When you hear words, spirit is coming to you. Another way of, of expressing this, it's like, how does spirit come riding on? What is, what is, what is the, the, it comes riding on words, come couched in words to you. You take the word away, the spirit's got no platform on which to write. Hmm? Let's look at the context in which Jesus said, then we'll close. Uh, John 6 verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, please, as we read this, think of yourself, you in the study, and Jesus is the speaker, and he's speaking, but the Spirit of Father is speaking. But listen carefully. There are some in his audience that are going to hear from the different platform, from the wrong platform of the soul. Some are going to hear from the right platform of the Spirit. Now listen to it. Therefore, Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, listen carefully, Let me, we didn't, I didn't paste in the previous verses. What did Jesus say that they heard? Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh 
and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Now the Bible says when they heard this, the conclusion as they walked to the car park and drive into Moor Road is this. The conversation in the car is this. This is a difficult saying. This word was very hard. This word did not make complete sense. How can we eat his flesh? This guy just told us, drink my blood. So the conversation at the supper table around the turkey and that Sunday afternoon was, this is a skleros, Greek word, skleros. It's a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Why must we even entertain the sound of the content of what he's saying? Listen carefully. And that question was because they heard it from the platform of an unrenewed, unregenerate soul, mind of the soul. Look at the next few verses. But Jesus, conscious of his, that his disciples grumbled about this, he said to them, does this cause you to stumble? Not everybody rejoices at his word. Some stumble at his word because they hear it inaccurately. What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you. Now Jesus, this is the context in which this word, the words are spirit and life. The context is a difficult saying is not properly encoded by the hearers. They say difficult saying and from now on, that's the last time we will hear him. Who can listen to this guy? Difficult saying. And Jesus said, but there are some of you here who do not, some of you here who do not believe. Look at the word in the Greek, skleros. Hard. They say it's a hard saying. Basically means harsh. Hard. Rough. Offensive. Have you ever been in a meeting where you left offended? Oh, come on, I'll get my hand up. Don't be so holy. Anybody? I've had occasion. You know why? Sometimes you think, he's hitting at me. Or you think, how does he know that? God knows everything. God just uses the mouth of the preacher. Or you might feel, it says, though the prayer that David prayed, search me, O Lord, and try me. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It, listen, please, every time you're under the sound of the voice, if you hear it with your spirit, the spirit will automatically illuminate your darkened area of your soul. You have a choice at that point to say, will I allow offense or is it an opportunity to get that area of my soul back into alignment with my spirit? I think every church service, every time you're under the sound of the voice, is an opportunity to go to the next level. That's why I don't want to miss not, not one opportunity to be under the sound of accurate apostles. I go to the meeting with the mindset, hey, Randolph, you're going to come out better than before. Even if what you hear, you might not agree with like these. But listen to it, not with the mind of your spirit. Listen to it or with your soul. Listen to it with the mind and the ear and the eyes of your spirit. Allow that to illuminate your soul so you can make amends. And never again will that area of your soul be darkened anymore. But you'll be far more mature than you've ever have been before. Not so? I like the word intolerable. Have you heard a word, ever heard a word that was intolerable? Can't hear it. They said, who can listen to this guy? Listen, Jesus was not teaching cannibalism. 
He said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. They thought it literal. This guy wants us to eat him up. <laughs> Who can listen to this kind of teaching? They were listening to spiritual words with a soulish mind. When you read for your homework, I'll talk about this next week because of time. Next week, Paul actually said to the Corinthians, I speak to you spiritual words combined with spiritual thoughts so that you can know the things that God has freely given to you. Hmm? Spiritual words with spiritual thoughts. Right? So, and this was after the feeding of the 5,000. The 5,000 were there for the miracles. It's happening on the north coast. Clouds are there. But the moment a word is given that will bring maturity to your soul, the clouds disperse because of failure to assimilate the word of the Lord. Listen carefully. Failure to comprehend difficult saying. Isn't some things in the present apostolic difficult sayings? Who's ever had a headache in an apostolic meeting? I've had plenty. Felt like my head was busting. It's challenging everything I've been brought up with. I believe that now they're bringing accuracy. And you feel the tension, literally. Feel the busting in the head. God is reordering your thought paths. Hmm? I pray God give you many more good headaches. Headaches for the better. Not, not bad ones. Not depression and, and pressure and all of that. Right? The Bible says, while Peter thought of the vision, talk about it in two weeks' time on meditation. Two weeks' time, we'll talk about the art of biblical meditation. How to employ the thought of your mindset to bring it back to the thought and the ways of, of God. So 5,000 men plus women, I think plus minus, say 15,000 was the crowd. His church shrunk after one Bible study. From 5,000 to 12. The 12 are still with him. So Jesus turns to the 12 and says, by the way, chaps, not to, now time to make up your mind. Will you go also? I mean, the clouds just left me because... So what does Peter say? Here's the verses in the, in the middle of the page. Only the twelve were left. On asking them if they would leave too, Peter responds. I love Peter's response. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have what? It was a words of life. Eternal life. Your words bring spirit to us. From the realm of the eternal. We believe and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see the miracles, I mean if anybody should have convinced people, eh, it would have been feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. Two fish. If anybody. The miracle did not convince them as to his identity. As powerful and as profound as that miracle was. Peter says, Lord, they've all left, but we're going to stay. Why? We are staying not for the fish and the bread. We are staying with you because what we hear from you are words from another realm. Words which are spirit, like you said just to us a few verses before. Words which are spirit that allow us to condition and upgrade the mind of our soul. Just quickly, let me go to this. Five or four things. Why did Peter refuse to go? Firstly, there was nowhere else to go. He says, where can we go? It highlights the scarcity of valid apostolic voices in the day of Jesus. There's no one speaking like you. Words of truth. Difficult, but words of truth. Peter always had this problem with difficult sayings. Even when he wrote his letter, 
He says, our dearly beloved brother Paul speaks things difficult to understand. Peter said that. He even had a problem with receiving some of the things Paul said. You know what? I just think God wants to speak so much more to us. But you know the construct of our soul is so far fallen that he has to upgrade us progressively to reveal the new things to us. Why was fathers and sons only restored to the body of Christ recently, in recent years? Why didn't I learn this principle 20 years ago? The gentle state of the, the fallen state of the souls of many of the sons of God wasn't ready for this revelation. And who knows what we will be teaching from this platform in five years' time? Who knows what lies around the corner as we progressively upgrade? And we, 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 we demonstrate to God, spirit speak to spirit. Because now our souls are so aligned, we can receive the deeper things of God. I'll show you next week how that the writer of the book of Hebrews had to hold back from revealing more things about Melchizedek. He says, I have much more things to say about Melchizedek, but hard to explain, seeing that you are dull of hearing. Problem is, how we hear. I'm saying, God, please. You know, I go to my study. I pray the prayer that I, I'm often fond of praying the prayer now often. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Let my thoughts, as I was typing this, Lord, let my typing, let what I communicate be accurate. Because many people are going to read this. I want to mislead people. Let it be acceptable. Right? And I'll share that process with you next week. Right? Secondly, the quality and the character of the words they were hearing were eternal. Right? Thirdly, I won't, I won't elaborate on this because of time. Thirdly, they have already believed his words up to that point. We've come to know that, believed your words, Peter said to him. And fourthly, they have come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. That is, through a process of time and sequence of consistent exposure to his person and teaching, his claim and credibility as God's Son had, has been repetitively endorsed and confirmed in their own minds. They knew this man is the Holy One of God. Peter's thinking like this. Listen, there's no one else we want to go to. Although you sometimes speak even things we can't make sense of. Yet we will stay because while the mind of our fallen soul can't accurately grasp it, what we are hearing from the mind of our spirit is life eternal. So we will stay based upon, we know that you are one sin from God. Even though you can say some hard things sometimes. Right? Now Paul would say something similar to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.14 You are ever my son. Continue in the things that you have learned and have become convinced of. Knowing from whom you have learned them. Now as we close, look at this. Listen carefully. Hebrews 12.9 says, Moreover, you have had human fathers who disciplined us and we you respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our what? The heavenly father is the father of, father of your spirits, not so? What is the role of earthly spiritual fathers? Remember this voice, this, this page, this diagram at the back? God's voice is in the voice of your spiritual father. When he sounds out the word of the Lord, you must catch it with the mind of your spirit. God, the heavenly father, Hebrews 12 Nine says, is the father of your spirit. But your soul needs fathering. That's where spiritual fathers come in. 
Right? And there's two verses that say this. Hebrews 13, 17, we've had this before. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch for what? What is my job? You know what my job re- really here is? I speak the word to you. You catch it and hear it with your spirit so you can bring renewal to your soul. I, as your spiritual father, am watching over your soul dynamic. I want, I want to bring your soul. If I can align your soul to your spirit, job done. You'll walk obediently and express the will of God in your world. Like the first man, Adam did. Okay? But look at 13.7 of Hebrews. It says, remember those who led you, who spoke to you what? Question, how do you lead? How do leaders lead? According to that verse. You're not leading if you're not speaking word. It says, remember those who led you and spoke to you what? Word. No one is leading. No leader is leading unless he is feeding. The, the, the whole, I know leadership is many things to many people these days. For me, it boils down to one thing. Peter said to the elders, feed the flock. Feed them word. Give them light. Illuminate their spirits. Let them hear with their spirits. They can see the darkened area of their souls and so make adjustments and be transformed by the renewal of their minds. Right? I love what David said. I put it right at the bottom. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores my soul. I pray that through constant exposure to the word of the Lord, that your souls will be completely restored. Think about the, you know, there's going to come a generation in the earth that's going to start to mirror the first man. That's going to make the devil very scared. There's a group on the earth functioning like the first man, functioning like the second man, before the first man before the fall. Jesus demonstrated that to us. The last Adam. He demonstrated that to us. That you can live successfully on the earth from the vantage point of your spirit. I'm excited about this study. I just feel like, you know, I sleep tonight, I sleep in my bed. Lord, I am spirit. I am soul. I am body. Let your spirit speak to my spirit. Let words resound, sound and resound, echo, become buoyant. Let those words illuminate my soul area. Let me then become obedient to everything I hear in my spirit. Through obedience to the truth, I purify my soul. I only am transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm transformed no other way until mind is renewed. Then I walk obediently in the earth. And when I'm faced with a potential clash of interests, even if I must sweat and be in agony, I will say, not my will. If it costs me everything, I will empower my spirit man. It is at that point where we're going to break the bubble of mortality. I believe it is at, let me just say, when there's nothing more to be renewed in the soul, guess what's going to happen to the body? It is an order in God. This body is waiting to be immortalized again. Right now it's suffering aging and death. We will become incorruptible in our flesh and immortal, I believe, when this process of total maturity in the spirit and the soul finds its complete expression. God will have no option but for the third process to kick in.
The Bible says, Paul says like this, he says, I await the redemption of my body. Not my, he says, to wit, the final redemption of this body. What it must be like to wake up every day, Adam, and knowing you will never, ever die. You will never die. What is it like, Adam, to wake up on the earth and express the will of the Father and not suffer sickness? Adam was, when, when, when the seasons changed, he had no calcivita. He didn't stock up on vitamin C. He, he had no vitamin and mineral supplementation. Right? He did not even have medical aid. This man woke up immune to sickness, disease. Why? The body listen, and the rest of creation is totally in the process of corruption simply because a man's spirit disconnected from his soul and he found independence from God. Fathering is about restoring the soul to its proper place. Father your souls so that you can become the spiritual man, not a natural man, and not especially a carnal man, like Paul would say to the Corinthians. For the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. Neither can he know them, because they are foolishness unto him. If you hear spiritual things and reduce them to foolish, you've just lost the art of hearing. Amen.